Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So today I have a confession to make. I, uh, I oftentimes don't struggle too much with what I'm about to say, if it is biblical. Anybody understand what I'm saying? I don't struggle if what I'm about to speak is biblical. Now, if it isn't, well, maybe there is a struggle. Because sometimes it's just the mind overtaking, you know, your better judgment sometimes. But when it comes to being biblical, I don't struggle with what I'm about to say because it isn't my words. I'm the messenger. And some would say, well, yeah, well, sometimes how you interpret it is not exactly how God meant it. Well, we could all say that because we're going to want God to say what we want Him to say, whether it's in preaching or receiving. Amen? It's the truth. But here's the thing. Today, we've got to talk about money and possessions. And you know what? Most pastors won't touch it because they're afraid of hurting feelings, stepping on toes, whatever. Because some people, and I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about Christians. Some Christians want to separate money and possessions from everything else that's biblical. They separate biblical morality, biblical truth from money and possessions or finances. They think that somehow that there ought to be, the church ought not have anything to say about that. Well, the problem with it is, isn't the church is saying it. God is. And God uses His messengers in the Scripture to put it into words for us, and then He uses His messengers in the pulpit and in Bible studies and in small groups the world over to help us to understand it. There's, there's, this is not dispute. This is true. And so whenever you talk about money, uh, and, and, and I've heard people say, you know, I, I don't like the church because all it does is want my money. Well, no, God does. Church doesn't. And any church that wants it rather than seeking what God wants has got a problem. You know, uh, I'm of the opinion that we can be good or poor stewards, whether it's in the church or whether it isn't. And, you know, one of the shows on TV that I like is called Tanked. Anybody seen the show Tanked? It's these guys from New York that build... uh, these unbelievable aquariums, fish aquariums. Have you seen those? Yeah, now you're, you're with me, right? Uh, and I can't remember exactly how much was spent, uh, and I'm not going to tell you it was good or bad, but there was a church down in Texas that had a, and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've seen it. Yeah, this church in Texas uh, had these aquarium guys build this um, entryway with an arch in it, with an aquarium on one side, arched all the way across the top into the church of an aquarium, and it was literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I, I, I had to say, hmm, right? So I'm, you know, right? I'm not, listen, if God told them to build the, the thing, then they ought to do it, right? But I'm of the opinion that God probably wouldn't tell us to do that here. I mean, in fact, it would look kind of strange out there, don't you think? <laughs> now, I'm not saying we might one day not, you know, replace our, you know, our, uh, our two little things out there with the flowers in them with fish tanks. I don't know. I doubt it, but I, somehow I think in the summertime our fish would boil in there. I don't know. Uh, you know, and then, I, well, anyway. So there's, you know, you get the idea. But I think that there's sometimes you've got to be real careful about what you do with the Lord's money. You know, and I, again, I'm not telling you that they were wrong to do it. Uh, but I think that there were probably, we would do other things with it if we had it. Um, just saying. In, in this particular passage, James basically is saying, you can be 
rich and poor at the same time. And it really shouldn't be that difficult to understand because you can be smart and dumb at the same time. Can't you? I've known smart and dumb people at the same time. Have you? Sometimes just me, right? You can be the most intelligent being on the planet and do some really dumb things. Anybody? Come on, let's just call, let's just call it for what it is. We're real. Okay? Now, I'm not, now you didn't, don't go out there and tell people, the pastor said, there's some really dumb people in the world. Listen, even though that's probably true. But still, I'm not saying that today. Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about you being rich and poor at the same time. You can literally have all the money, you, so much money you could never spend it all, and be very poor. I've known people that were. Because money did not bring them the joy that they wanted in life. I have news for you. It probably never will. Not really. So this is what James is trying to say. And you know what? Jesus said it is easier for a poor person to get into heaven than a rich person. Now, I think sometimes we misinterpret what that means. He's not saying rich people can't go to heaven. He didn't say that. But he is saying that the rich person who puts all his hope and trust in his finances or puts them above the kingdom of God probably won't get in. He used the eye of a needle. Remember that story, the camel and the eye of a needle? That's what he's talking about here. And so as I begin to think about that, I thought, you know, should you bring this message on James? Should you really talk about the things that, I mean, should you take James at his word and say, and, and here's the thing, uh, is, isn't James, what James is saying, isn't that God's word? So how can we not take James at his word if we're, if we're going to take everybody else at their word in there, including Christ, right? Don't, don't we have to look at it for what it is? And, 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 and then God said something to me because to me, I was making some points and I'm reading what James said and I thought, oh gosh, you know, some people are probably going to be upset with me for saying that, you know? And God said, um, since when are you ashamed of my word? Did you write that, this or did I write it? Who are you to pick and choose what you should preach on, what you should shy away from? And I thought, mm, okay. So if you're me, what do you do? And here's my question to you. And, and if, if you can't shy away from speaking the truth of the word, how can you shy away from receiving the word of the truth? Could anybody here really do that? Come on. Could you? Be honest. Can you shy away? Can you pick and choose what you want to believe and not believe in the Word of God? Can you pick and choose what you're going to study and what you're not? No. For the Bible says that all Scripture is what? And good for teaching, preaching, and admonishing. Yes or no? It's all good for, basically, if you want to put it, paraphrase it, for instruction. Yes or no? Is it, can, we, can we pick and choose whether we're under the instruction or not? No. But we don't like it, maybe, right? I mean, we can admit that together, but it's true. So here's the thing. Take your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. We will take a look at the warning to rich oppressors. First six verses, listen to what James has to say in this passage. He says, now listen... You rich people. And some people here are going to go, well, that doesn't pertain to me because I'm certainly not rich. <laughs> Anybody? Because I thought that. I go, well, he ain't talking to me now. Right? Well, I think it kind of depends on what your definition of rich is, doesn't it? Because immediately your minds went to rich in possession and cash and money. That's immediately what you thought of because basically he is talking about that. But that's the first thing. That's how we understand riches is how much we have. But it isn't. And you know it isn't. Because you know where this is going, and yet you don't at the same time. Wow. Okay? Because I didn't until I got it. Okay? And I think I finally got it. So listen to what he says here. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming upon you. Oops. Does that mean that all rich people are going to have misery? That's not what he's saying, but he's saying that there's an awful lot of rich people that are going to weep and wail, 
okay? Because their riches are in their possessions. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. You know why? Because you're dead in the grave. That's what he's talking about, isn't it? Isn't it? Of course it is, okay? Your gold and your silver are corroded. Yeah, because they're no good. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Wait a minute. Are you saying, James, that my riches are going to testify against me? Yes, that's what he's saying. We're going to come back to that. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, I'm not saying there might not be good reasons for people to do that. But it can be sinful. You understand? Okay? Because that's what James is talking about. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen and who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. And I think to myself, all I really need to do is look at all we have today. And it's a lot. Even if you're not considered rich in the United States, you are elsewhere. Okay? This nation has an awful lot, and it shows. And now we expect it. We've become an entitled peoples. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And you, won't, you, you can argue with me to the cows at home, and you'll lose. Because I will never be convinced that that's not true. I see it. And you know what? The more we have, the more we want. We can never get enough. My house is big. We have two Christmas trees in it. There's a reason why. Because through the years, I have a lot of children, and so they, they made throughout the years in school lots of ornaments, okay? And my wife and I, well, my wife likes to have them on the tree. They're starting to fall apart, and I get to the point where, you know. So anyway, either way, they're on the, so we have one tree that's the kiss tree, and we have one tree that's the pretty tree, okay? Or whatever you want to call it. And... Here's the thing. If we allowed it, both of those trees would be filled with presents underneath them because there's not enough room for all of them. Now, I realize I've got a lot of kids, but here's, here's the struggle that we have. And my wife has to call me on it all the time. She didn't know I was going to say this today. But, but, but here's the thing. It's almost like when we go out to buy presents for our grandkids, my wife has to restrain me and say, we're not their parents. Okay, so... It's not, we should get them a present, but we don't have to act like their parents and buy them 10. And here's the question. Do they really need it anyway? I'm telling you, my grandkids, all of them have more stuff, literally. And I've contributed to that. Not, not, now, I, yes, I know grandparents, I'll be able to spoil their kids and send them home. That's great, right? I get, that's a wonderful thing. But it just goes to show me that we, even at Christmas time, we have more than we, so there was a time in our nation what if a kid got one present at Christmas? It was a big deal. And, and there are kids today that might not get any out there. And, and that happens all around the world. You know that, right? So but we have more and more and more and more and more. And I, I don't think there's any end in sight for that. I, I really don't think there's any end in sight for that. So I, I want to know where we are. When does it become gluttony? When does it become hoarding? When does it become entitlement, expectation? I don't know. But I do think that God says there's a line somewhere. And I think, I don't think it's so much the line we ought to look at. I think it's our attitude toward it. I think it's our belief system toward it. What do you think? And I, you know, you can say what you want about the Grinch who stole Christmas. I, I think I love it. I think my favorite scene is when the Grinch is at the top he, and he stole all their stuff but he couldn't take Christmas from them. They didn't have a thing, but they were still holding hands. They were still singing down in Whoville. You know, did it really take a cartoon for me to understand that? Would I, would I, would we be happy at Christmas if there were no gifts exchanged and we didn't receive anything or couldn't give anything? If, if, if it would ruin Christmas, then we've missed the meaning of it. Amen? And so I, I think 
to understand that, I've got to go back to what James is trying to tell me here. Now, you've heard it says that money talks and blank walks. I ain't going to say that here today. But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Who in here does not know what I just meant by that? Money talks and <laughs> bullcrap walks, okay? <laughs> Best I can put it. That's not the word it's used, but you get it, okay? That's the cleanest way, and there was a day you couldn't have said that here. Okay, so, right, there, I look at that and I think, yes, there's some, I understand the meaning of that, and there's some truth to it. I, I get it. But I, I want to I put that aside for a minute, and, I, and this is all me. This is all your pastor here. This, I didn't read this anywhere. This didn't come up. This is me. I began to think immediately, if money talks, what does it say? Have you thought of that? When money talks, if, if it really talks, then what is it saying? Isn't that a fair question? James warns those that pursue money and prosperity, those who place a top priority upon their earthly riches. Well, he says this is going to testify, you, testify against you at judgment. I can't get that out of my head. I, I can't. I mean, if, if nothing else, if, if, if I heard nothing else, if I saw nothing else, I, I couldn't get that phrase out. That these things, this attitude, this ideal, that, and, we, and as capitalists, we're pursuing that anyway. Agreed? But that could testify against us. And, I, and listen, I'm as big a capitalist as anyone. I believe in the land of opportunity. That we, that we offer here in a free state. You understand? But friends, at what point will it testify against me? And you better look at every aspect of your life as a Christian where it could or might. You understand? And listen, you don't get to make the decision if it will or not. God does. Isn't that awful that we can't decide what testifies against us and what doesn't? It's like everything else. We don't get to choose what's right or wrong. God does. We don't get to choose what we're judged on and what we're not. God does. We don't get to choose whether our feelings count or they don't. God does. God, God's the end all for everything. You know where we fail? When we think He isn't. That's where we fail. Friends, I don't know how I can put it out there more point blank to anybody today. So having said that, when money talks, what is it saying? Right? Is it condemning you? That's a good question, isn't it? Because it just might be if it's talking. It just might be. And then he goes along and says that these people are going to weep and wail. And I think, well, why is this so? It's pretty easy, really. Because today, even Christians are putting other things in front of their pursuit of God and His kingdom. Even Christians are putting money and possessions above the pursuit of God and His kingdom. And you know what, friends? It's easy to do. It's very, very easy to do, and you will justify it every time. We have to eat after all. Yeah, but nobody in here is starving. Okay? Nobody in here is starving. We wouldn't let that happen here. Would we? So come on, what are we talking about here? Let's put it in perspective, okay? Because God's putting it in perspective. He's putting it in perspective through James, and James is harsh. I know he is. And we don't like when people deliver things harshly, do we? Some people say, I'm not disputing, Pastor, what you said. I'm disputing the way you put it. Really? Okay, let me put it another way. Ronald Reagan was great for saying that. Let me put it another way. Who, who remembers that? And somehow we smiled and took it. In the end, does it matter who the messenger is or how they brought the message? It's still the message. Now, do, do I need to be better? Yeah, probably. But James isn't. Are, are we telling God? God, I would accept that if James would have put it better. Is that what we're saying? Who in here is going to say that? Right? This is what, but, but, this is, but we put that on pastors. We put it on uh, Bible study leaders. We put it on our teachers, don't we?
The day is coming, James says, when they're going to know that their money and the love of it, as well as the pursuit of it, will only serve to condemn them. They're going to know that. He says it right here. They're going to know. Again, indisputable. James says that they will, get this, wish they had listened to the Word of God and pursued the one thing and all the things that go with it that really matters. The one thing. And what is the one thing? The kingdom of God. Jesus Christ. Yes? Isn't that really the answer here? I mean, friends, come on. To a person. If I started over here with Jody and went all the way across the front row and all zigzagged all the way back, all the way to the end, back here with Kate, well, with John in the booth. If I did that, and let's say we went next door to the children. Two schools of thought here. If I said to you, is this true? Is the pursuit of the kingdom of God the most important thing as a person we will ever do, what do you think my answer would be? In here, you might say yes. Out there, you might not. If I went next door to the children, what do you think they'd say? I'll bet you, I'll, I'll bet you a dollar to a donut, and I'm not a betting man, but here's the deal. I'll bet you that the children would be more pure in their response than adults are. What do you bet? Yeah, you know why? Because to them, Christ is just Christ. Jesus is just Jesus, and that's the most important thing. I see it in my grandkids. I see it in children in this church. I've watched the development of them in their spirituality. Huh? So what's happened to us? Maybe nothing, but maybe something. And my concern is, has it? Okay? So listen carefully. There are a few things we have to discuss to understand this idea. Point one, who is rich? I mean, right? Well, Daniel, I think that's the answer. I, I do think it is. Well, it kind of depends. It depends on your perspective. But yes, if we're the Christian that Christ wants us to be, we all are. Can, could you agree with that? I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm stepping ahead. I'm going ahead here. But I want you to understand. But to understand what's rich, we have to define, see what defines riches. What exactly are riches? It's, it's clearly not just those who have money, property, and prosperity. It, it can't be because the Bible says it isn't. James 2.23, Genesis 13.2, and Genesis 5, or 13, 5 to 6. And the scripture was filled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold, but Lot who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Now, here's the deal, friends. You have to, you have to open this thing up and expand it and step out a little bit. And, I, and I, you know, uh, I like Iron Man uh, because when, he, when he's trying to look at this thing that he has, that he's gonna, he, he digitizes this, this little uh, planning thing he has on board, and then he goes like this, and his computer puts it in like this hologram all around him, and he, and he spins around, and he can look at it. Sometimes, I know, I don't know, if, John, can we technologically do that today? Okay, yeah, I have no experience with it, but I think we probably could, I don't know what the processing speed would have to be to do it, and I don't know what the display would be like to do it, but I suspect with some kind of a projection we could do it maybe? Okay, I, that would be cool for me to see that, yeah? The problem with it is, in my mind, we need to do it with our mind sometimes. I'm not saying expand your mind to the point that there's cracks in it where all the garbage can get in and, dis and dis dissuade you from the right. I'm saying where you can step out and look at everything clearly and see it all. See, here's how, I think sometimes we would, oh, I don't like that, so let's close it back up again. Because we want to be convinced of that. But this is exactly what he's asking us to do. Open it up and see it. The fact is, Abraham believed and trusted God. You can't get away from that. The Bible says he did. I believe the Bible, taking it its word. Did Abraham believe and trust God? Yes, he did. Okay? Then God saw to it because of that that his needs were provided for. Notice that? Because he left his original dwelling with nothing. And he never had his own home. He always lived in a tent no matter where he was so he could at a moment's notice get up and go where God sent him. That's interesting to me, okay? Let's go a little bit further. Then we find out that even when he had nothing, he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God when he had everything, too. 
That means that what he received didn't change him. Now, Abraham screwed up a couple of times, but it wasn't his possessions that did it. It was never his possessions that did it. You understand? Okay. And then we find out when Abraham gained his money and possessions, uh, uh, he, his, his mind still went back to God. His heart still went back to God. And Lot, because he was associated with Abraham, also received these things. But the Bible doesn't say that Lot was a friend of God. Because we know he wasn't. In fact, he was self-centered. It's really a tale of two people and two hearts. Lot even took the very best. Instead of sharing with his uncle when the lamb couldn't support them both, where he could have, instead of, instead of splitting it this way, he wanted to split it this way so that Abraham got all the dust bowl in the mountains and nothing on him, and he got everything that was prosperous. He could have split it this way, and they both would have had an equal portion of both, but he wouldn't do that. Even though his riches came from his uncle in the first place. What does it go back to? Right here. Doesn't it? What happened to him? And, and that's not all. He did more things, too. He loved the world too much. That's why he loved his possessions. And he didn't even want to leave Sodom and Gomorrah when they were going to be destroyed. I mean, this is not in dispute. It's the truth. So I began to think, well, what made Abraham rich then? Well, I mean, wh why was he considered rich? Why did God say Abraham was rich? Why would Abraham say he was rich? The same things that made David, Isaac, Jacob, Job, all of those who were considered by God to be righteous. Some of them had money and some of them didn't. But God seems to prosper those who put him first. He seems to do that. I'm not saying that if you put God first in everything, that he's going to give you riches. In fact, if riches wouldn't be good for you and it would compromise your relationship with him, he's not going to give them to you. Why would he? Because what's most important to him? Your salvation. Your relationship with him. Yeah? You see, those who were considered by God to be righteous, it was, it was their pursuit of him. The desire to be like him and be close to him. It was obedience to his commands without question. And today, it would be a Christian whom God would consider righteous, not what people consider as a good Christian. Because, you know, our, our standards of what makes a good Christian are very different than what God's are. They are. We, we would say how much money we gave to the poor, maybe. Or how much we thought we loved somebody, even the unlovable people. See, we don't understand what love is. We, we, we really don't. Because we allow people to do sinful things in the name of love, and it's going to condemn them. Okay? You, you got to get that in your head today. God doesn't. How can we? Okay? And there are some people who will never, you can never help them. There are some people, no matter how much money you give them, they will always be poor. It doesn't matter. And sooner or later, they have to step up and stop squandering what they have. If it's an addiction, they need to stop with the addiction. If, if it's just poor money management, they've got to stop with that. You know, whatever it is, if you keep helping them, you're entitling them and help, you're, you're crippling them, not helping. Now, again, I doubt seriously anybody's going to starve. And should we allow someone to starve? No. That's not the point. But sooner or later here, we've got to understand what being a Christian means. God says being a good Christian is when you're righteous before Him. That's where it begins. And there are so many people out there, Christians and non-Christians, who have an idea about what Christianity is, and they will call you all sorts of names because you stand for the truth. You stand for the right because you're righteous. But who's going to stand with God in the end? The righteous, the sheep and the goats, yes or no, okay? we got to understand that. And do I think that we're going to have to come to a, a conclusion as to what that means? Yes. Are we going to have to find a way in our, in our society today with the church to figure out where that, where that is? Yes. Yes. And do I have all the answers? No, but God does. God does, doesn't he? But in any case, my point is, it isn't the money. The money isn't what makes you rich. Money and possessions have always defined riches in this world. I get, right? You, I get that. 
We've always determined riches by what somebody's net worth is, but neither truly makes us rich. My wife oftentimes looks at our grandchildren and she'll say, I'm a rich woman. Indeed, she is, because that's what makes us rich. To us, it is. To us, it is. And sometimes I don't, how, my, uh, how did one person put it, don't have enough money to make a down payment on free lunch. Been there before. And it, nobody, again, we're going to come back to this, but nobody wants to be in that position. Nobody, nobody likes it where you're constantly never have enough money to make it. Never, never always wondering what bill you're going to pay first, right? No, nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be there. Who, who, who enjoys that? No one. No one does. And you get to the point you're sick of it, and you'll do just about anything to get out of it. Agreed? There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Amen? Okay. So keep that in your mind. We're going to go back. But anyway... There's something deeper than your money and possessions. And if you understand this, then you understand what James is trying to say because it isn't about material things. It's about the things of God. It really is about the things of God, friends. It really is about the things of God. And don't tell me you don't know what the things of God are. You do know. We all know. We just choose not to focus on them sometimes. And, we, and we're good at making excuses why. Okay? Now, there are, in fact wrong attitudes toward money and possessions. In Mark 10 and 1 Timothy 6, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but again, Jesus said, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. But godlessness and contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if I have food and clothing, I will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Did you hear that? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of it. You understand? Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, and I know people that did it. And you know what, what the struggle is? They don't know they're doing it. They don't know they're doing it. Now, based on what is said here, there are some questions I think we need to ask ourselves. Number one, and this is important, how do I acquire money and possessions? How am I doing it? Okay? And then, once I've determined what that is, what's my motivation behind it? Why do I acquire them? In other words, do I acquire these things in a godly manner? Or am I willing to cross the line of honesty to get them? Or even do something that is, is questionable in it? Maybe it's not necessarily illegal, but is it right? Is, isn't that what we should be asking ourselves? Just because it's not necessarily illegal, that's enough for me right there. That's enough for me to say, not interested. If there's even a thought of impropriety, you know what that does? It destroys immediately my righteousness and my appeal to somebody as a Christian right now. Even if you're accused of something that you did not do, the damage is done. It's done right there. You're done. It's not right, but it happens. People accuse politicians and pastors and other people of things that they did not do just to destroy their reputation, knowing that the person didn't do it. It happens all the time. I'm not, don't even get me started on Brett Kavanaugh. I don't know if he did it or not, but there was a game to play. Okay? He will never, he'll, he'll never get past that. Uh, and, and I believe that there are pastors out there that people destroyed on purpose. And you know what else? I also think there's pastors that made some wrong decisions. Okay? And here's my question. What do you think God wants from us? Does He want our very best and what's right before Him or something that's eh, questionable? And how tempted are we to go along with the questionable? Because I get those temptations all the time. Do you? Friends, I know you do. You know how I know? Because the devil sees to it that you do. 
If he can destroy God's reputation, or if he can, if he can diminish what God offers to people, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. We, we are against a real enemy. You do get that, right? And you know what? Do you think that Christians in the church are sometimes used by Satan? Come on. For sure he is. We are. He's good at it. And so I began to think about that some, and I thought, okay, so am I willing to cross the line to get these things and then justify the reasons behind it? Because I think we are. I think sometimes, and we're faced with that decision right there. You know that? We really are. And then the thing is, do, do, why do I want them so badly? If, why, if, if it's going to cause me to have to uh, compromise even a little bit, why do I want them so badly? That could be sinful too. The desire for them so badly that you're willing to cross a line, it's not just the, the act, it's why, isn't it? Is it? Am I doing it to benefit the kingdom of God? If I am, that might be one thing. If I want something so badly because I know it's going to help the kingdom of God, that might be the right attitude. But if you want it so badly because it's going to benefit you or your family, maybe not. We don't want to hear that, though. You know we don't. You see, all of us have got a decision to make right now. Everybody, we have a decision to make right now. What person am I going to be? Am I, am I pursuing money and possessions because it'll benefit me? Or am I pursuing them because of what I can give back to the kingdom of God? Big difference in desire right there. Wouldn't you say? Come on, guys, you're silent. Come on now, let's be honest. Because some of us just can't get past the fact that we want things. See, God isn't done here with us. This is just beginning. Do I want things to benefit myself for selfish reasons? Or do I want to benefit the kingdom? You know, that, that, that's, that's such a touchy subject, we might not want to answer it. Because we don't want to know the truth. Do I trust money and possessions? Here's another question. Do I trust my money and possessions for security? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to do the test on yourself today right now. Do the test on yourself right now. Let's break it down. Am I trusting God to take care of me, or am I really keeping my eye on my bank account, my investments, and my property to do it? Come on. What are you doing? Where's your trust really at? What's really doing it for you? Because I'm not asking, God is. He's asking every single one of us today. He always has been. God wants to know. And I, I, gosh, I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. And you know what I have to tell him? Sometimes, God, I, I put my trust in my possessions. Sometimes, sometimes I, I'm, I'm, you know, I put my, my trust in my paycheck rather than you. Hmm? Who would be willing to admit that they, they've done that? Yeah, see? That's the difference maker. Now, friends, I want you to understand something. I am not saying you shouldn't plan for the future, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't save and be a good steward. I never said that. God's not saying that. In fact, God says just the opposite. But the fact is, some people have literally thousands of dollars in their possession and are, and are desperately afraid to give envy to their church or the kingdom of God. I've even had some people come up to me and say, you know, I don't, I don't know about this sacrificial giving stuff, the Bible says I should give 10%, and that's all I'm going to give and no more. Shame on you. Because you're telling God no if he asks you for more. Aren't you? You see, <laughs> here's how we look at things. God says you ought to give 10% of who you are and what you are to the church. Yes or no? I mean, that's what the Old Testament says. I believe that that to be true. And Jesus was clear with the Roman government, with the people that give unto God what's God's, give to Caesar what's His. Yeah? Okay. So he's pretty clear about that. But we want to take that to the letter of the law and say, well, I'm, I'm only required to give God 10%, so the rest I can keep for myself. And that might be true. But you know what you expect from God? An awful lot more than that. Come on now. We want the whole darn thing. Hmm? 
I do. I want the whole darn thing. Do you? I want everything God has that he wants to give me. I want everything God has potential to give me, I want that. So do you. You're foolish if you don't. Put, let's put things in perspective. If you, if you could give way more than 10%, but you don't, what's your reasoning? Hmm? And I'm not just talking about money either. It comes in your, your time and your treasure. You've got to give 10% of all of it, or time and talent as well. You've got to give 10% of all things. See, we, we, we talked about that last week. And if you, if you only gave God, you know, 2.4 hours out of the day, most people don't, don't give us that. Most people don't give 2.4 hours to God out of the day, but that's what He's requiring. And if we'll compromise on time, you darn sure better believe we'll do it on our cash. Anybody? Okay. Now, some people struggle and wonder how they're going to tithe at all. I get that. I, I understand. But some of us have way more than that, way more. And I'm not telling you what you should, you should do. I'm just saying, are you willing to part with it if God says? If here's, the, here's the next argument. But God didn't tell me. Of course He didn't. Because you don't want him to. I know that because I've known people, and I almost think that maybe there was a time I might have been that way. Literally. We're protective of that stuff. And that's why we want to talk about it in church, because we don't want to be compromised that way. We don't want to have to believe that maybe, maybe God wants more from us. Jesus talked about sacrificial giving. It's okay if he's the one doing the sacrificing, which he did. It's okay for Christ to sacrifice everything he was, everything he had, but it's not for me. No, no, he's certainly not asking me for that. Really? How would you know? Because you're not willing to give it. That's why you don't know. See, friends, I I'm not trying to, again, tell you what to do. I'm just telling you, we trust the wrong things, and we are trusting the wrong things. And you know why we sometimes hang on to all this cash? We keep thinking, but what if, but what if? I can have it today, but what if? What about tomorrow? God says time and again, don't worry about tomorrow. He told, he told the Israelites uh, who, when they kept trying to get more manna, he said, hey, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 no. Either you trust me to provide manna tomorrow again or don't trust me at all. Trying to teach him a lesson, wasn't he? Now, I realize that they were going the other direction because they had, had gone without for so long in Egypt. I get that. I understand why they kind of were hoarding like that because they'd been there and didn't want to go there again. I get it. But God said, wait a minute, who you trust? I mean, you're willing to trust me to come out of Egypt, but you're not willing to trust me to take care of you? Sometimes I wonder if I'm an Israelite coming out of Egypt. Right? If your church or the kingdom has a need and you could give all the money that would be needed for that particular need, but you only gave a small amount, what are you saying? Again, I have no one in mind. I have no project in mind. I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to think of anything. I'm just simply saying, this is what James is telling us. And I know, I know what our arguments are. I know what they are because they've been my arguments. Okay? Are we really saying that it's really my money, not his? Because it is, that's, that is what we're saying. I don't, I don't need to paraphrase it. I don't need to ask you. I know what I'm saying. If, if I have extra money, but I won't give it, it's because I don't want to. Because I'm afraid or whatever reason. I'm saying it's mine, not his. And I'm really saying that I don't really trust him to take care of me. and that I'm not willing to cheerfully give all that I have. You know what, friends? Jesus was pretty clear about this. And I, and, I, and I go back to this and I think, man, oh man, oh man. Wow. We would be very hard-pressed, friends, to find a person like this. You see, back in Jesus' day, the rich people only gave more than those who didn't have much. They constantly went in and gave more than the poor did. You understand? They would go in and clank, 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 clank. Now, is it true that some of them had a poor attitude and wanted people to see it and look around who, who's doing it? Yeah. And some of them didn't do that at all. Some of them just went in there and just gave more because they had more, because they were required to give more. And yet, here comes this woman now who had nothing but a few pence, it says. 
And Jesus, knowing everything, watched her go, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Now, okay, that's wrong. Tink, tink, tink. Okay? Don't forget where we're going here. Tink, tink, tink. Do, you, you, right? There's a big difference between half dollars and, and, and silver dollars falling in versus a, a dime or a penny. Yeah? Okay, big difference. And I, see, I don't understand our money. Why is it that, you know, a nickel is heavier and bigger than a dime? I, never, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, so, right? It's probably worth more in metal. <laughs> anyway, that's my stupid idea. Anyway, so, but you can see what we're talking about here. And so, she, and Jesus said, what'd she do? Gave everything she had. And it was way less than the guy before, but she gave everything and he didn't. That's the difference. Now, God... I'm not telling you, God's telling you to give everything you've got. I'm not saying that. But what if you're willing to do that? Isn't that the heart God's looking for? He may not require that from you. If you're not willing to give all that you have, you certainly aren't willing to give your life for Him. Now, come on, let's face it, you couldn't be. This is what He's trying to say. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone today who would give all that they have. You really would. You really would. Which brings me to my next point. How do I use my money and possessions? I mean, how am I getting them and why? And and, and am I trusting them more than God? And now I'm going to find out how am I using them. Honestly, what do you do with this? What do you do with your money? Every one of you... If you're, if, you're a, if you're a sound financial person, you should know where your money's going. Because let's face it, we've, I've actually had seen people who said, look at the wallet, somebody stole my money. I know that, because it's not here. And so you didn't spend it. No, but they did. It's, have you ever opened your wallet and wondered where the money went? That's a strange phenomenon. Everybody's got the same hole in their wallet, don't they? Everybody's got that same disappearing cash. You know, it's those things you, you know exist but can't prove. The, you know, the little gremlins are stealing your money. Right? Huh? Do you know, friends, I've known people and even churches who would sit on large sums of money and refuse to use it. I actually went down to a church down south and sat down with them and their pastor because their pastor was furious with them. And they wouldn't listen to him. And they were sitting on literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they refused to touch a dime of it. And I told them, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but let's look at the size of your church. How many people have you brought in in the last 20 years? And they said, well, let's see. This is a board I was talking to. Hmm. And they, they couldn't come up with one person. And I said, what have you done in outreach in the last five years? What part of your treasure have you given to something outside of this church? Well, let's see. We we did our parking lot. Uh, we fixed this. We went. And, I said, no, 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 no. I want to know what you what, what you gave outside of this church that you had no clue if there'd be any return on investment whatsoever. And they looked around, and they couldn't think of one thing. You know why? Because they hadn't, and they weren't going to either. I could see their eyes. They did this. They weren't going to do it. You know what I'm glad for? I'm glad we don't have a, a church board like that. Now, we don't have all the money we'd like to have to do things we need to do. But you know what, friends? When we do have it, we have never hoarded it. We have never sat on it. Most time, we didn't have it. I remember those days. Don't, don't you, Carol? Carol was our treasure for a long time. And for years and years and years, we wondered, didn't we, Carol? And there were more than one occasion. And this ain't about me. And Carol's done it, too where I've taken my paycheck, signed it back, and gave it right back. You know why? Because we didn't have it. And there were times I know Carol put money in just so we'd pay bills. Yes or no, Carol? Um, this ain't about us, and we don't want, do we? I'm just simply telling you, I remember those days. And now, praise the Lord, we don't have that. And God is good, amen? But friends, we will never get to the point where we go back and remember those days and start hoarding money because we don't want to go back there again. But that's what people will do. I get being afraid of that. I understand that. Again, People argue the secular point is for a rainy day. And I, I, I understand the stewardship is important, but honestly, whose money is it? Are you claiming ownership of what God has blessed you with, or do you really believe it belongs to Him?
Well, I think we're going to know based on your bank account, based on your attitude. And everybody, every one of you who's sitting here today knows the answer to that question as you sit in the pew right now. Every one of you. You don't want to admit it, but you know it. You know it. And you know what? Guess who else knows it? Hmm? Listen, don't, don't be mad at the messenger. I, I'm, I'm simply telling you, this is what James is saying. This is, this is from the Word of God. And James says, this kind of attitude will condemn you. It will, it will, it will speak against you. And I began to look at that, and I thought, let's, look at, let's, let's talk about the pearl of great price real quick. Matthew 13, 45 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought the pearl. The one thing. Am I willing to part with everything I have in order to have Christ? Isn't that really the pearl of great price? Isn't that what he's talking about here? So what, which richness do you identify with? Would you sell your soul for a bowl of stew? Esau did. And at the time, he didn't realize it. And secondly, his priorities were all screwed up. And again, it's as easy to do. I mean, he was hungry. I get it. And it's easy to sell your soul when you're hungry. It's easy to sell yourself, your self-righteousness when you're hurting. And why did Esau not realize it? For the same reasons we don't realize it. Because we aren't spiritually where we need to be sometimes, and neither was he. Because when you are, God's clear with you, isn't he? See, that's the difference. Secondly, those rich and worldly riches, he says, are going to be miserable. So let's talk briefly about the vanity of riches. In other words, we're prideful about our money and possessions, just like some people are about their looks and their abilities. Have you ever known anybody that's prideful or, has, or is vain about that kind of stuff? Because I have. But what happens to those who do this? What does James say? He says they perish. How is this possible? Why? Just for liking money and things? Well, if you look at Matthew 6 and 1 Timothy 6, we find out it's pretty clear because obviously putting our faith in anything of this world and age is going to cause us to either not accept salvation or if you do, after receiving your salvation, you're going to lose it. Now, I know there's some people out there who say that can't happen. God says it can't. Jesus even said that those who try to preserve their life on this earth will what? Lose it. But those who give it freely will gain eternal life. And I think what more could be said? It just comes down to our attitude and priority, doesn't it? He also says that... We're going to be miserable because our riches witness against us. And I think, how does our money and possessions witness against us? Well, they tell a story. They are truthful about what's important to us, even if we're not truthful with ourselves. Is, isn't that true, really? Isn't it? Oh, I know we'll make excuses for ourselves, but that's exactly what Satan wants you to do because the Bible says you can't serve two masters. The question is, who's your master? And you're going to make a, a, a deal with that, too. You're going to make an excuse for that, too. You know, here's the thing. Does it really matter who you think your master is? No. Doesn't it matter who God says your master is? Isn't he the one that determines whether you're his or Satan's? Yes. Or whether you're trying to play both ends, trying to play the middle? Does God not know that, too? And doesn't he have something to say about the person that's trying to work, work the middle? Sure does. He says that our stuff consumes us too. Do you know everybody hates, again, I said before, we're going to come back to this. Everybody hates living to pay, paycheck to paycheck. Everybody gets tired of never having enough money, always worried about meeting bills or buying food. I get it. I've been there. I know. I know. But even if this motivates you to do something about it, when you get to the point where you are obsessive about never letting it happen again, that desire will consume you, and you'll become this person he's talking about. And what would happen if we allowed the desire for God to consume us instead of something earthly consuming us? That's a, there's a question for us right there. That might be a sermon for another day. Huh?
That's the vanity. Let's take a look at the sins of the rich. They hoard. James says that those who have money and stuff seem to want to hang on to it. They refuse to share it. And they get to the point where we would consider them tight. You ever know anybody that was tight? I'm not, listen, if you're the tight person, I'm not calling you out. I'm not telling you what you should do. This is, this is between you and God, not me. I'm simply saying what James is saying, okay? There's a difference between being a good steward and being possessive with your possessions. Do you understand that? Isn't, isn't it about the attitude of the heart? Isn't that what James is really saying to us? Isn't it? Come on, agree or not? Okay? In fact, Paul says it's sinful not to save. In 2 Corinthians 12, 14, he says it. You have, you have a responsibility to, to save, you know, for when you need it. But there's a difference between saving and hoarding by being possessive, right? Big difference. Because it is sinful to hoard. And that's exactly what James is trying to say. And my question is, because God's asking, are, are you hoarding? Am I hoarding? Are we hoarding? Well, are there churches that are hoarding? Yes, the answer is absolutely there are. You know what else the, the sins of the rich are? Defrauding people. Deuteronomy 24, Jeremiah 22, Colossians 4. Every one of these verses are clear that gaining things by defrauding someone is a condemnable sin. Absolutely every time. When you take advantage of somebody for monetary gain, God's going to have something to say about that. And that's on you. And you know what? We've done it. I know for a fact that there are contractors out there that will charge you for things that they did not do. And if they didn't use something that they purchased to do your house, they won't take it off the line item. They'll just keep it for another job and charge it the same. I know it because I've seen it happen. What's God going to say about that? And sometimes they're Christian guys too. Now what? Well, I don't know for sure, but I know he's going to have to make a, an accounting to God for it, isn't he? And so am I if I do it. And so are you if you do it. Okay? So if you've received any money outside of complete honesty, then your quarrel's with God, not me. Okay? They live in pleasure, he says. Not that that's bad, but it could be. Amos 6, Luke 21, God is clear. We ought to receive pleasure from living with God and in His service. That's where your pleasure comes from. Not in other things. Not from what money can buy you. Now, it's been said that money can buy anything. In fact, the Beatles said, money can't buy me love. Oh, come on, you know. Come on. Didn't they say it? Money can't buy me love? Yeah. That's true, isn't it? Uh, they, they, that comes from secular people. They know it. Money can't buy you love. But there's more to it than that. You see, money can't buy you real love. It might give you short-time love, but not real love. Some people marry for money. You know that, right? You're looking at your spouse saying, well, I certainly didn't. <laughs> right? 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 Uh-huh. Come on, get your mind out of there. But here's the deal. Okay, so... You, you and I both know that this is true, right? Some people do it, right? We, we, right? Wouldn't we? Here's, here's what I want to say. We seem to be of the opinion today that money is the answer to everything and anything. If I have enough money, I can do anything. What does God say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not through the money that I have, not through the potential of the money that I could have or the stuff that I have. But here's the thing. The, the rich usually become the famous, and that's the ones we listen to. Why in the world would we take any kind of advice from movie stars and artists? Really? Stuns me. What does Hollywood know that I don't? Plenty. I can tell you that right now. So when... when Huffing Post and Yahoo, and these people get up here and say, well, so-and-so says this. I'm like, so what? The Word of God says this, but we don't throw it out and listen to the movie star. No wonder God's beginning to take His hand off of us, because we're, we're not, He's not taking it. We're doing this. We are. When we listen to that garbage, that's exactly what we're doing. And listen, I'm the messenger. I'm, I'm watching it happen before my eyes. Then in my opinion, it's a fact. And God says it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> Didn't he? 
Okay, so we, we, we can watch it. They also persecute the just. This, is, this one's kind of difficult to understand, but James is clear. We do this in two ways. First of all, there is a just one. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ every time. Acts 7, 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Paul is very clear about this. Okay? He's very clear about this. And what he's saying is that when we put money first, we go against everything that is godly. Everything that is godly. It's just a fact. And we won't listen to the, what the Word teaches, nor any messenger of the Word. And you want to know why? Because we just want what we want. We just want what we want. Our example as a Christian is huge. Do you know that? 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. And when they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did, and that's what I must do. Okay? So, our desire for money and stuff goes so far against Christ and what He did that our example couldn't be godly. When you put your faith and trust in your stuff, your, your, your eyes are not there. I guarantee you they're not. They're not. They can't. It's impossible. You know why? Because the love of money can't coexist with the Holy Spirit within you. It's not possible. And when you can't be persuaded to part with it, you've got a serious internal problem, and your quarrel, again, is with God, not anybody else. It's with Him. Friends, I I'm sorry that I have to say it, but that's happened in the church today, and it might be happening here. I don't know. I don't want it to. And, and there's only one reason why I would tell you that. It's because, not because I want your money, but because I want you to have this relationship with Him. That is my aim. It's my goal. It's what I've been called to do. And I don't want anybody, anybody, to have to answer to God in an arbitrary manner. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Friends, if your money is causing you to put your faith and trust in it, give it to the church. Or give it to God's kingdom somehow. Because it would be better to be poor as all get out and gain eternity than to have all this stuff and let it rot in the grave with you. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. And there's people today in every church in the land that's going to happen. And they're, gonna, and they're sitting there like this. No, that's, that's, that's not me. Is it or isn't? I don't know. Ask him. Lastly, where your treasure is. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One question for you as our worship team comes. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. I, I, what I was going to do is have Matt put the offering plates back up here so that if you had a problem and you knew it, you could write a check right now to alleviate it. But I thought that might be taken wrongly, so I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to tell you is this. If, you, if God's convicting you today and you know it and you've got stuff and cash and that's what you're putting your faith and trust in and you, and you really know it's true, then there are ways that it, that can stop. And it might just be, require an, a heart change. Maybe God won't ask you to give it up, but if you know you're going to struggle with it, maybe you should. I, I, I can't tell you what to do. I'm just saying I don't want anything between you and God. That's all. Whether you give a dime here or you don't, I don't care. That's between him and you. Because God will take care of this church no matter what. He said it would stand if our hearts are right. I trust him in that. Anybody? He's provided for our needs every time. He'll continue to do that. But this is between you and him. This is a spiritual issue. Store up your treasure in heaven. Start there. If you have money and possessions, they're not doing anything but making you feel secure and gaining interest. Where's your heart? Do you need to get rid of them? Maybe you do. 
Some people can't have any because they, God knows it's not good for them. Which are you? Don't let anything come between you and the Lord. Howard Hughes was one of the wealthiest Americans of the 20th century. He died an alcoholic, paranoid, recluse. He had everything. He didn't the only one either. I can give you name after name, story after story of people that won millions of dollars in the lottery and they've either committed suicide or they died destitute in, in more ways than one. Place your trust not in riches, but in the living God. Amen.